going to go around another chorus with that but um, welcome back the eagle eared can it be eagle eared I'm not sure about that the eagle eared amongst you will hear that these are brushes not sticks quite strange brushes a gift from Mr Lee Mullen my good friend they're called um, dream catchers Headhunters. We did a gig recently and um, Lee gave me a couple of presents and these were one of them. Oh, sorry, phone there. Um, and uh, yeah, quite unusual brushes. They've got this kind of nylon hoop and um, I was chatting to him today actually. So today's Friday. And uh, normally I record this the first Sunday of every month. But oh, any of you out there, or two of you, three of you, whoever, uh, with a memory, will um, who listened to maybe the last episode will remember that I mentioned I was going off to um, Pembrokeshire on Sunday morning to record the trio JDM's first album, which I'm very excited about this is my new trio with Jamie Taylor and Martin Longhorn <clears throat> organ trio and um, loving playing with that band at the moment really swinging vibe proper jazz vibe this is terminology in the UK at the moment called jazz jazz which I find slightly irritating jazz is jazz is just jazz so it's, it's jazz it's a nice vibe um, anyway sorry that's a uh, usual tangent um, yeah, so, yeah, these brushes. I was chatting to Lee today and he said, oh, well, you know, I gave them to you because we could make Edna tell of how, how to use them. We thought you'd work them out because um, I play with brushes quite a lot. And I'd sort of deduced that these nylon hoop things were just to sort of help with articulation. If we turn them around, you get this kind of weird... Depends on which angle you play them at. But you get this kind of funny, slight doubling of the of the brush. But also with the front, which I don't really like. But when you turn them around, play with the normal brush side, all it does is it just makes the brush 
they're already quite stiff wire anyway, but it makes them slightly stiffer. So it just means that you get more, more articulation. And I have to say, it, may, it just makes like playing doubles and paradiddles and all those kind of things. It just makes it easier because because the brush um, it's a little got a little bit less flex. So it's just physics vibe, isn't it? Same thing. So yeah, that's kind of um, that's why um, that's why I was playing them at the beginning of this and not sticks, which I normally do. But um, anyway, I hope you well. It's August. Can't believe it's August already. I'm not going to talk about the weather because it's shite. Pardon my, but um, yeah, it's August. Can't believe it's August already. It's uh, been a lot going on. A bit weird. A strange time. But um, things seem to have kind of resolved themselves now. It's funny because I've started playing with these this evening and I actually can't, once I kind of get going with them, I can't kind of stop. It's quite nice to play with, actually. It's funny. Um, so I'm going to put them down because it's quite irritating. But yeah, so it's been a funny time. Um, thanks to all the people who've been in contact and um, been very supportive at this weird time. <clears throat> Just to say, publicly because a few people have asked um and of course a couple of students who listen to this and i sort of forgot about that but uh, yeah everything's resolved is all i have to say so um things are different but they're resolved so that's kind of that um not meaning to be cryptic or anything but if you listen to the previous episode it's just in reference to <clears throat> my job and work and things that have been going on at work and everything seems to have resolved itself. Um, I'll go into the ins and outs of it, but um, that's kind of that. So been trying to get my head back into um, back into what's coming up really very, very soon, this recording, which is um, quite a big deal for me because it's my first band I've had for a long, long time. Um and it's been great getting just the music together and just playing with the guys, you know, it's been mega. And I really wanted to make this album down at Studio WZ with Owain, and um, that's kind of what we talked about a little bit. The other thing I hope on either Tuesday evening or Wednesday morning, as I'm hoping to do this long-awaited interview with him, which he's agreed to do, I think he's agreed to do it. Um, yeah, I'm staying there. I'm staying an extra night in uh, down there, um, and the, the, the sort of premise of that was to to try and get this interview done, which I tried to do last time I was there when I was when I went down and did the recording for the Tapestry album, but um, it we didn't quite get didn't quite get the opportunity to do it. I think he, you know, he was not keen at first because he, he's just funny because he's a funny guy. He thinks, oh, you know, he's, he's so interesting. He's a clever and interesting guy. And he was like, oh, no one's going to be interested in my vibe, you know. He's like, no, people definitely be interested, especially drummers because he's so into drums, you know. He's not a drummer himself, but he's very into drums and recording drums, you know. So it's just such a great thing, I think, to um, to get some insights onto what's going on on the other side of the glass, you know, when you're recording and an engineer's listening to you and they're giving you feedback about 
about your sound and about how that's coming across and not necessarily about the performances, but just more about the kind of aesthetic of what you're doing, you know. So um, anyway, that's kind of Wednesday. So I'm kind of going back from that. Yeah, we've got two and a half days to make this album, which is um, not, I don't think it's ambitious at all. Some people have said that's a bit mental, but I, I don't think it's ambitious. I think it's completely fine because I actually think that, um, well, I make reference to the old school vibe, the old school Blue Note thing, and also the ECM thing, you know. the Those labels, you know, they... they um, so I'm just turning my phone off. Those labels, uh, they used to do albums and other record labels other jazz labels in, in in north america and in the you know in the 60s and stuff they used to do albums a lot of these people in two days you know um and i just think there's something in that as a sort of tradition which is a good thing it's not a production album you know if i'm recording something here if i'm writing some music here and i'm working on my own um then you know it may be i might spend you know weeks and weeks on something but um just to play tunes that we've rehearsed you know and um just to kind of get into that vibe and um yeah i just think you know it's fine it's fine we play that we we, we play that kind of music all the time and those tunes have been well rehearsed so um to not overthink it that's what i'm trying to say just trying to say I'm mean, a long-winded way of saying a very simple thing of, of not overthinking it all and just going in there playing it's sort of a two-take only vibe which is you know quite into that and um probably be pretty obvious which takes the better take you know I always have this thing with um I say to students you know um when they record stuff and, and sometimes I watch them recording things, I'll, I'll just be like filming them, you know, just turn the camera on and off and I'll just be observing it. Well, it won't be like an assessment thing. It'll just be watching. Or they play, they do these lunchtime gigs, you know, and then they, we watch them play and, and, and sometimes, you know, some of them, they go, oh, well, we'll do another take of this thing. And I'll say, well, why, why would you want to do another take? And they'll go, well, you know, I could do a better solo. And... Unless there's mistakes, you know, I mean, like, you know, just just something goes wrong in the arrangement or something, you know, or somebody's instrument falls to pieces or somebody drops a drumstick or something, you know, just some catastrophic thing that's a kind of, you know, um, operator error, so to speak. I always say it'll just be a different take. It's, it, won't be any, it won't be any better. It'll just be different. You know, there'll be things you'll like about one that you'll like about the other, you know, and then there'll be things that you won't like about one that you you will, sorry, like about the other and, and it'll and then the solo, you'll you'll like some bits of one solo more than you'll like some bits of the other solo. And ideally then you'd be like, oh, I wish you could actually have, you know, half of that solo. In fact, I'll have three and a half bars of the A section and then the the next five and a half bars of that rhythm changes. And then when we go into the second A, I'll keep the first, you know, it's just you just end up going completely mental. So um and I think the same thing 
you know, as you get as you go up and up through the kind of echelons of, of being a better player, and I listen to all the players that I kind of aspire to be, you know, to be within a country mile of, so to speak. Um, and you realise that, you know, in the studio that people play, I think, within a certain parameter. Um, and that's kind of what this podcast was about, really. Uh, and I kind of got into the subject of it and I had a load of uh, housekeeping things to say. Um, I'll just say them all at the end. I can't be bothered now. I'll just, I'll just ruin my vibe. So, but um, yeah, so is that idea of, um, of, of, you really push things, I think, when you play live, when you're gigging and you're playing in the moment and you're sharing that experience with an audience. You know, people uh, are there in in the moment. People come to see music because you know they they want to have a unique experience. I think that's 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 shared and and it's something that you take away with you as a memory. You know, and in these times of the overly quantified life, you know, with social media and all that stuff, and the the, the fear of AI and and the the sort of just the weirdness of the world in some respects, especially on the media side of the world, you know. The media side of the world is quite strange at the moment. Um, if you sort of ignore all that stuff and you just kind of sit on the other side of the fence, then you get back to the kind of those values of like, well, here we are playing some music and we're all together and it's a beautiful vibe. There you go, you know. And this is going to sound like this. And that's where musicians will, they'll, they'll have this, um, they'll have this want to push, to push the, the parameters slightly. And, I, and my observation within, within what I'd call um, music that's played within forms so I'm not. So I'm excluding kind of free playing, and everyone thinks we're talking about jazz here. And 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 uh, you know, essentially, a lot of free improvised music is, you know, it's played by jazz musicians or bass, but it's not always. And so I'm putting that to one side because I th I, th I think that kind of music and that way of playing tends to operate in a very in the moment and, uh, and uh, when it's played well, I'm talking not talking about terrible free music. I'm just talking about really good free music and good free players. You know, people who play that music all the time that they, they tend to be um, that that they're always pushing, and it's and it's all about listening and responding and, and being protagonists and being uh, and also being people that are um, responding to things. So it's, it's, there's all that kind of stuff going on. But outside what's seen as the the, cons, the confines of a form, you know, and um, and my my kind of um, the last fifteen twenty years of my existence has been to try and get better at doing being in that way, but within form, within a form, within some kind of. Um, you know, predetermined boundary, whether it's, you know, harmonic or whether it's harmonic and and, and bar numbers and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm kind of, I'm into that vibe, you know. Um, the great drummer, um, George Rossi, Jorge Rossi, Spanish drummer, phenomenal player, 
that was when I was when I got to meet him a number of years ago and talked to him. And I've, I've mentioned this before, you know, on here. Just that that idea as his thing was to always play free, but freely and free, but within form. In saying that he always knows where he is, always knows where he is. No matter whatever whatever's going on, whatever he's playing, he always knows where he is in the music. And and really, that should always be the case, but. When you're playing, when you're playing, sometimes you get lost. You know, I was at that beginning of that thing when I was messing around with those brushes, and I, may, I mean, I, I always fade in, and it might not be, it might not be obvious because you, you probably have a starting point, a reference point. But there's a couple of times where I was, you know, just losing control of the ideas and slightly overstretching myself. You know, and sometimes the rhythmic things are just. It's like you hear this kind of whiff of an idea and then kind of go there and realise, like, sometimes I haven't got the chops to kind of <laughs> to escape, you know, to come out the other side. Um, or just um, lose focus for a second and, and, and have a moment of doubt as to where I am, you know. Oh, are we... Oh, am I there? Oh, and, you know... When, again, when I'm teaching, I'm talking, I'm talking, I'm helping students learn to read. I always talk about that thing about focus. You know, the, the, the focus is the is the key. Being in it and having ways to be um, to be able to focus and, uh, and 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 you can practice focus, obviously, and, and understanding what focus is 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 very important. I think as a, as a um, as a musician who who is performing some kind of you know function as an, as an accompanist or maybe as a protagonist or as, as, a, as a leader or whatever for drums a lot of the time it's that focus of groove and sound about where you are in the sound of what's going on and about um about making sure that that you stay focused on on what you're actually doing and, and a lot of time what happens for me is because I think I sort of do have a little bit of sometimes just issues with sort of getting a bit sidetracked quite easily sometimes. You know, the, the biggest problem I struggle with, and it's a coordinational thing, is listening, really listening hard to to what's going on around me. Um, and you know, the thing that I've done within jazz playing in the last six or seven years is to is to spend more time when I'm playing jazz to just listen to the bass, you know, to really focus on one thing and to allow the subconscious mind to listen to everything else. Because the, sub the subconscious mind and, and the unconscious mind, I don't know a lot about it, but it's definitely hearing everything. It's all over it, you know, whether I'm, you know, all over it in the moment as well, you know. I mean, I'm talking about it like it's not part of me, it is part of me, but it's that uh, how you're responding consciously is different to, you know, to kind of what you're aware of, what, you, what you're consciously aware of. And the thing I sort of have, you know, my experience through playing has definitely taught me is that the, the, when I'm listening to the bass, and this is, you know, the premise of this is he's got to be a good bass player, right? I don't want to be listening to a terrible bass player. Um, I'm very lucky I don't play with terrible bass players. I'm very, very fortunate. So, you know, I've kind of earned the right to do that by, you know, being, you know, pretty good and, and working, you know, my ass off and all that kind of stuff. But I'm very lucky to, you know, to blessed to be playing with, 
with uh, really good bass players and having that deci- being able to make that decision. And for me, the thing I've noticed when I if when I'm playing in the moment is just to focus on that thing and the kind of joy of what that is. And the, and the other things are, ha- are still happening. What I used to do in the past would I'd be trying to listen to everything and be so attentive and, ah, my ears are everywhere, you know. I uh, remember years and years ago playing with a piano player and um, this is when I was younger and, you know, probably slightly more on it, nervous system-wise and all that stuff. But, you know... Um, he said, oh, you've got, like, elephant ears, you know. And I was like, oh, I don't know, what's that, what's that mean? He said, like, big ears, you know, really, like, really able to really listen and respond very quickly um, in the moment, have this kind of, just this kind of almost ability to sort of be, uh, he's kind of saying, like, reading, he said, like, reading my mind, you know. And it's not it's not reading anybody's mind at all. It's a familiarity of phrasing, I think, and of the musical style, you know. There are certain things within um, styles of music, any style of music, you know, and, you know, the pop industry and and producers have made fortunes out of this because they've, they've formalised it. And this is, you know, the thing with AI with and, and dance music is, that, you know, AI is writing dance music because it's, it's analysing millions of previously written things of dance music and it's kind of going, oh, you know, this, 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 had this this was a number one hit this was not a number one hit what was it the thing about this thing that made that you know and all that stuff and i've talked before about you know i analyze that kind of music and it's i really enjoy anal- analyzing that kind of music because i'm always amazed at how simple that music is but yet because of the way in which production ideas are used little aesthetic things are used and the way they're mixed it just generates energy that is constantly making the brain stimulated, you know. Um, and so, you know, jazz and improvised music, it's like that's that thing's... If you're trying to play it and you're trying to be listening to everything and responding, it's a nightmare, you know. You, it just drives you around the bend, really, um, which I think it did for a while, a little bit for me. And anyway, so, you know, the, I mean, this sort of discovery a number of years ago was like... Uh, listening back to the recordings of myself, listen, watching, you know, playing on gigs and people videoing the gigs and then listening back to the gigs or, or videoing the gigs myself and listening back. I went through a kind of period of learning and doing quite a lot of that analysis. You know, I was trying to get better and trying to work out why I felt completely mental all the time and, and completely mentally exhausted and totally bewildered by by everything that was going on in the music. You know, I realised that having this thing of just listening to the bass... <clears throat> And just having that focus on the bass. What I heard was when I listened back, I heard myself playing better time, more consistent time, and more relaxed interaction with the other instruments. There was just as much interaction, but it was just more relaxed, you know. That's my observation of me. It might not be your your experience yourself and you may not have all these mental problems like I do but you know that's that's great um and you know sharing these experiences and talking about this stuff I hope that you know either it it helps you think about something if you're feeling a bit weird or it it reaffirms the fact that that you're not doing you know something that was completely insane really you know just trying to be like listening to everything all the time I, I mean there's a thing where people say you can't hear more than one thing consciously at a time 
then uh, you know it's not it's not possible to hear more than one thing consciously at a time. Um, you know, I don't I don't know whether that's true or not. I'm, I don't know enough about it. Um, I'd love to speak to you know people who are brain specialists. And I did. I met this neural. Um, he was a lecturer in neural networks and neural science. Or something. He was a brain person. He was he was watching. I was doing one of these gigs once. I might I might have even mentioned this before. Now, sometimes you you see people looking at you, um, not looking at you like staring at you or whatever, just kind of observing what you're doing. And uh, this chap came up to me after the gig, you know, and uh, he said, "Oh, it's fascinating watching you operate. You know, what, what, watching what you're doing." The instrument, and I was like, "Oh right, you know." He says, he says, "There's a lot going on, you know. There's a lot going on in 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 the brain, you know." And then he got into what he, you know, he lectured in, in neural networks and, and and brain science and stuff. And he he said, "You know, just the thing of all the things that you're looking at, what you're doing in that moment, you know." And he talks about other things, other examples of people, even people that work on like. Um, you know, people that work on production lines and stuff, just, this, you know, people get into this kind of, this automated way of doing things. Um, but they still have the, the ability to respond, you know. So, you know, people get into, um, when people are, like learn to do a skill. So say you're, you know, you're on a, you're on a thing and you're putting together an iPhone, you know, and there'll be a certain... You'll have to do a certain amount of work within a, a certain amount of time consistently through, you know, the the, 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 the time frame of when you're working. And, and in that, you'll have to, you know, therefore be kind of doing everything on, on a on a muscle memory level, really, like super quick and, and it'll all be. But if anything, if anything happens, there's an ability to be flexible just, for, just by, by reaction, you know. And, and he was kind of talking about that and talking about playing... Uh, he's talking about specifically about me playing the drums and about kind of what was watching how reactionary I was being. You know, saying how kind of um, <clears throat> you know in, in a brain sense how interesting that is. And he was talking about how that the kind of neural networks and and, and these um, this. I kind of after that I got I, I did a little bit of research and and and. Um, well, quite research, a bit of reading and a bit of this, that and the other on this this idea of plasticity of the mind, you know, how you can change your you can change your uh, brain by um, cognitive um, cognitive uh, behavioural changes, patterns, you know, do, doing things differently essentially. But also the thing of if I'm sitting here and I'm practising, you know, these doubles... Right, right, left, left, right, right, left, left. And, you know, the, thing, the things that I'm... The main things that I'm thinking about in that, when I'm playing it, is three things. One is the sound. The second is what my fingers are doing in each hand. The, the, the finger is responding to the second input. So there's a drop and then there's a collection. Okay. So there's, there's the sound of what's going on and then there's the, there's the technique of what's going on. 
And the third thing I'm thinking about is is how heavy how heavy the sticks are, the brushes I'm playing brushes, how heavy they are, they feel in the hand, you know. And those three things are are what are what kind of are forming like a neural thing, aren't they? They're forming like a a um, a way of feeling. It all comes that that whole thing for me is like a feeling of playing. The feeling of doing that thing encompasses those fingers are those fingers responding what does it sound like and what does what's the weight in my hand what is the thing i've got in my hand what's the weight of it and how is how is that propulsion you know it was funny i saw an old friend of mine today sergio um, galado he's a great old friend of mine brilliant percussionist i've mentioned him many times on here before and um i was I, I was messaging him this morning and I sent I just sent him a very short video. I said, I'm going to leave soon, but I'm in the middle of this. And I just had, just I just took a video of the practice pad with the stick, just doing something. And um, he came straight back with uh, biomechanics, you know. We are always in the biomechanics. And, it, and it's true, you know, a lot of it, when I'm teaching, I talk about the great Sonny Emery, the great drummer Sonny Emery, this great thing he said about the drums is it's just a big physics problem, you know. It's trying to solve the problem of the physics that's working kind of ultimately against you if you're trying to fight any of the forces in order to strike the instrument, you know, and to make a sound. Make the sound and, and really importantly, to make the sound that you want to make, not just any old sound, but making your sound so i'm just adjusting the microphone this needs to be got a bit of mic stand droop going on it's not good yeah that the idea of um of um what is what is your sound and how i'm making that sound how am i doing what i'm doing uh, again the great michael carvin drummer that, that everything's everything's about how you do what you do is everything he says you know because it's all about the way you are at the instrument and then the sound that you're making, you know, and you've got to have a concept of sound and all that stuff. Anyway, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. We've been there before. Um, but, the, yeah, they're kind of, um, you know, only half an hour in and we just get into the beginning of the topic, which is the usual nonsense. Um, so, yeah, prep, you know, I called this prep. <clears throat> it's all in the prep. And uh, just to talk about what that means and um you know things that you can think about if you're heading for an important thing if you're doing a recording or you know you've got an important gig or you're teaching you know um, or you're applying for a teaching job or something just the obvious things of um if it's all in the prep you know things to think about and things maybe that are slightly more abstract and uh, uh, in, you know, in the usual way, I'll just m more talk about what I'm thinking about, which is normally always a bit weird. Um, and the question, not going back to jazz again and improvisation, but the question of the line of what do we leave in the moment? Um, and what I mean by that is like I'm always talking like in time travel in an opposite way. I'm in the past. I haven't played yet, but I'm talking about leaving things in the moment and leaving things open to be. So what I hear a lot at the moment in um, music that's 
improvised and in inverted commas is I hear a lot of people um, really playing stuff that's very, very well crafted and well rehearsed and well learnt, you know, and he's not really improvising, you know, and it's that's cool because it's playing, you know, I've, you know, playing classical music is amazing and people are virtuosic, you know, incredible. And, and the nuance of virtuosity gets into all sorts of tiny cracks and areas that are just different from player to player because, you know, people have slightly different interpretations or, they, you know, they have a slightly different technical base or whatever, but um, I don't think this is as nuanced as that, but it's having that idea of, okay, the first thing you've got to ask yourself is, do I know the material? Um that's really important, obviously. Um, but if you don't, build in some time. And this is a, this is a, definitely a recording thing. Build in some time to make sure that the 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 material can be rehearsed. You know, um, you know, I've walked into recording sessions where um, it's very very different vibe going on sometimes you walk in there and people are, are super chilled and open and it's all just it's all unfolds in a very relaxed way in, in a kind of way where it's finding it's finding its vibe you know um like i've, I've talked about before I've recorded a lot with with tom mccray you know and, he, and tom very much works in that way because it's it he, he, I know he's got a very clear idea of what he wants, but the it feels to me anyway like the journey of how how he how I get there to playing the thing that he's hearing. It, it, it needs to have an emotional. Um, it needs to have a, a level of emotional attachment to it. It can't just be like super pro, you know. Um, and I've I've told the story in the past, the super pro story in the past of being in the studio and sort of nailing something, and then and then you know, and then doing another take which is not quite as nailed, and and him preferring the second take because it has the vulnerability, the crumbly kind of thing, the thing where it's the human, you know. And uh, you know, and therein lies the uh, the answer to the fear of AI. That's my personal opinion. So it's a, that's a beautiful thing, you know. Um, but it's very hard, you know. I, I'm a I'm a I'm what you call a school musician. My you know I was schooled in a way to to, to be. Uh, I was surrounded by perfectionists, and I was encouraged to be a perfectionist. And uh, I still rankle with that kind of the idea of what that is, and and. I tend to sort of try and put all the perfection into the technique side of things as, as best I can, you know, and focus on just being as best I can in that and, and leaving things a bit more open in the moment to what happens, you know, in the music. And and that's the thing for me, you know. But if, you know, and I, but so I've been in the studio, you know, with, with people like who have this very relaxed and they, they want things to unfold. And and you get you get to the take, you know, and uh, and I said before, Tom will comp. You know, he'll comp a drum take. You will listen through and go. Actually, you know, he might like uh, half of of take seven, and the other half of take nine. You know, or, or even take two or something. 
and they'll be comped together. And obviously, Pro Tools and Logic and all that stuff dead easy to do all that these days. And um, and I, you know, I have no problem with that because I'm just there doing a job, doing a job of work. It's always great to do one take, um, which which does happen. Um, but there's a lot because people have the you know have, have the have the Pro Tools these days and the Logic. I have no idea really what people are doing, producers and and, and mixers. You know, people that are producing them, the, you don't know what they're doing with the drums. You know, you just do what you do, and you, and then you hand it over, and it's gone. You know, and then you, and you hopefully hear what you did on the record. You know, which doesn't always happen, but that's just life. But um, <clears throat> but I've also walked into studios where people are almost treating it like. Um, a a kind of very formal rehearsal in order to then turn round very quickly a take, you know, and that's a very different thing. It really does, you know, uh, focus the brain very quickly, and and so being prepared uh, for those eventualities is is all about kind of knowing what's coming in the session. Now, you know, I'm talking. I'm, you know, these things sharing about what's going on in my life now and, and what's going on in my life in two days' time is going down to make a jazz album. And so the pre the prep that's involved in that, as, like, as I've said, is already is knowing the music pretty well. And that's knowing it well enough for it to not be, to be, not to be stale, you know. Um, you don't want to be so on top of the material that it's like got no life left in it. Um, because that's not that's not the nature of this music, you know. Um, so you want to know it enough to know, uh, you know, know the form and know what you're doing with the soloing and know what you're doing with any kind of, you know, um, phrasing and stuff that's that's together in the music and about and also maybe thinking about how you're going to set up that phrase and then the vocab that's involved in that, you know, because um, it's all about. It's all about that question. I say to students all the time, what is your vocabulary? You know, this is the language of playing drums within this genre or this style of music. This is that's a certain language. Within that language is is a vocabulary which is, you know, is is as sophisticated as, as the as the language I'm trying to use now, you know, speaking spoken language. You know, you can if you're playing a certain set of phrases, you know. I always ask, I always say to students, is it a question or an answer phrase or is it a statement phrase? You know, it's all syntax. It's the same thing as, as the written prose, you know. And you're just you're 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 a knitter, you're you're a narrator knitting that prose together as a drummer. You know, the time the, the time frame is the tempo and the meter, the length of the music set by the tempo, you know, and the feel and the style, the subdivision of the music. And then within that, there's moments where things need to be together with the collection of people in there. And then there are things where we're, we're in the cracks of each other, you know, uh, within the same subdivision, but using that using that space to, to interact, you know. And uh, so that thing of, of knowing what kind of vocabulary you're going to use on any one tune. And that's something that I probably mostly think about. Um and that's the thing where if I play seven or eight versions of a tune, the solos will always be quite similar, um, but they will inevitably be different because they're not pre-written. And they'll just be similar because, for me, the melody of that tune 
that's the, the double meaning, the melody of that tune. The melody of the piece of music, for me, always dictates the vocabulary that's used um, and how one knits their way through using that melodic form in order to improvise, you know. Um, because I don't tend to improvise when I'm playing on in that kind of music in, in a kind of rudimentary way, in, in a kind of chopsy or pattern-based. Sometimes I might do because those patterns make a nice sound they've got a certain length to them that has a you know has a kind of rhythm to them that's that maybe connects in some way to the to the melodic or the harmonic rhythm of the music but you know the the, the idea of um of just playing patterns and chops and rudiments uh, in what they are is not really my way of playing but there are some great jazz drummers that do that you know um so that's cool that might be your stylistic choice. Again, it's just knowing what your vocabulary is. I mean, what I'm talking about here is the vocabulary of what you're going to use, what, what are the things that you know that in that music you can play and, and are going to communicate that music without disturbing the time frame or the flow of that music or all those different things. So that's like a major part of prep for me. Um, obviously... There's this concept of of the headroom thing, which I've talked about before. Um, I'll quickly explain that again, but people that have listened maybe already know. People have, certainly people that have studied with me will know what this means. It's like the 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 playing. I say the playing is like the is like the earth. You know, the earth has is a spinning ball sphere. And around it is an atmosphere that keeps everything, keeps us all alive. You know, you've got gravity and you've got air and everything else is fine. Um, and so in one's playing, you have to kind of view things as, am I grounded? So where's the gravity in what you're doing? You know, the gravity of, for me, the gravity is is about making sure that I feel connected to the feet I know it sounds obvious because it's on, because they're on the ground, you know. We, I mean, with drums, it's different to different instruments. If you if you don't play the drums, you know, if you're a saxophone player, I don't know what the vibe that vibe is. Um, it's probably the weight of the instrument hanging off your frame and your and and your and the heel and your ball of the foot. So it's probably four points on the ground. I don't know. I'm trying to imagine. I've never played the saxophone, but for the drums, it's four essentially four points. Um, if you're a heel up player, then you're balls of your foot. If you're a heel down player, it's the heels and it's your backside. You know, it's, it's your buttocks on the drum stool. And you've got two buttocks, hopefully. Um, I would have thought that's probably normal. And yeah, so, you know, that's kind of the, the grounded thing. And so you've got the grounded thing in relation to feeling like you're at the instrument and you're not out of control just in relation to your balance, you know, so you know where gravity is. And then... The second part of that really is about how fast the um, the division and how slow. So the fast and slow of any tempo, you know. So say I'm kind of at this tempo. This is like yeah, one forty ish, you know. I'm 
I know that, I know even from instinct that I can get into the semiquaver vibe, you know, semiquaver triplet vibe, sorry, yeah. If I try and go, I can't even say it. And get into the demi semiquaver thing. I know that I'm never going to get into that gear. So like, so that dictates to me the kind of upper end of the division of, in relation to what kind of what I can get my hands around, and and so the vo and it's going to dictate the kind of vocab that's going to be happening within that uh, tempo, you know. And if it's swing music, then I'm going to be dealing with a triplet. And it's that thing of, you know, knowing that inherently we'll always normally know that, won't we? But sometimes you just got to be careful with swing. When you're getting into that, you're going up to the higher ends of... Uh, you know, we've still got the ability to play that triplet there. But once you get to those kind of tempos, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four... You know, you're getting into the high 200s. The triplet starts to disappear a little bit because it's hard to play that. You talk to any piano player, particularly piano players, because it's a percussion instrument, you know, played with the fingers and it's a legato instrument, so it's hard to connect the notes together and... Playing that fast triplet is like it's the it's like the kind of you know the holy grail thing for a lot of piano players that, that I talk to you know, and uh, it's super hard, super hard to be, you know, to be kind of uh, to be that on it. So um, you know, um, so yeah, yeah. Anyway, so that's kind of that's and then there's the slow thing. So you know, any tempo, how slow can you play? And within that within that headroom, that idea of headroom is also the dynamic thing. Um, I spent a lot of time learning to play quietly uh, with intent and intensity, having uh, emotional and dynamic intensity at low volume um, is, is a skill on the drums. It's something that... You know, some people don't want it as well. I've been in situations where people don't like the way that I play like that. They just want it to be, like, louder, you know. It's it, you know, and all that kind of stuff, which is cool. But it's not, that's not really my vibe, you know. That's not my, that's not where I kind of want to land, really. But occasionally I play music and play in situations where you got to kind of play a bit louder and it kind of goes, goes against the way I feel uh, in that music. But, you know, you got to step up sometimes. It's fine. I've got the ability to do that. I've got a pretty good dynamic range overall. I can play pretty loud when I need to. Um, and in some styles of music, I hear it loud, so I play loud, you know. But in some styles of music where I don't hear it so loud, but I need to be louder. And, and so having that ability to sort of adjust that thing comes from other people, really. It comes from that feedback. People saying, I need more from you, you know. Uh, I've had it with singers before where they've not understood the... They're so used to drummers being bombastic behind them that... The, the sensibility of what you're doing sometimes gets lost on them because they're used to being kind of overwhelmed almost by the drums. And and it's almost like a thing where they can kind of hide within it a little bit, you know. 
Uh, a singer I worked with a few times, she didn't understand that about my playing. And when she did, she really liked playing with me. And she always asked me when she came up north from London, she always asked for me to be on the gigs. But it was funny because there was a period I played with her a few times before this moment and I wasn't somebody that she asked for, you know. But I became um, someone that she really enjoyed playing with, you know, because she suddenly understood that I was listening to her. And I wasn't just providing a, um, a an accompanying sound to the music. It was actually trying to create a bit of a vibe, you know, and listening to the inflection of the way she was singing melody, and you know, and and the rhythmical thing of how she was singing the melody, and all those different things. It, it's all about the ears, really, and about what you're what you're kind of bringing to the situation, you know. But anyway, that's all. I'm not going down that down that rabbit hole even going off on a tangent um but yeah there's sort of the thing about dynamic <coughs> control and within the studio so in recording situations then gigging situations the other thing you've got to remember is they're different sometimes it is better when you're recording to just get a bit more sound to tape in inverted commas no one records with tape and if you if you are recording with tape then you'll know engineers will probably ask you because they want to kind of saturate it a bit it always sounds better onto tape if, if if things are slightly driven you know my thing with like i, I record it digitally i've got you know quite nice sound cards and stuff in the computer and i've been kind of taught through people that know a lot more about me than producing they always say try and track to sort of minus between minus 15 and minus 10 db so you've got loads of headroom in the digital. And that whole thing doesn't really make... I don't really understand what any of that really means, but I do that and I it seems to have good results, you know. Um, but when people are recording to tape, they want to get it up to zero, as close to zero as they can, you know. So, you know, there's those interesting things, but you just got to think about maybe you want a little bit more kind of... Um, you just want a little bit more sound maybe when you're recording. Just a little bit more for the engineer and, the, and whoever's mixing it to work with, just giving that thing. You don't want to be, just be super quiet and um, what have you, you know, unless you're going for a specific thing. But um, the luxury of recording for drums, you know, because I sometimes I like to play a little louder than the circumstance allows. You know, that's one of the things I I, I find hardest is it's just um, it's not about having intensity at a lower volume. It's about emotionally wanting to play at a certain volume within a certain situation or a room, you know, and not being quite allowed to do that because of because of something within the room or within the PA or within the situation or within a, a band member wanting things to to be at a certain volume and. And there being no compromise with that, you know, sometimes you have to just have to, you know, um, operate in a situation where there isn't a compromise. You're you're having to sort of go, okay, yeah, this is the vibe. This is what they want. This is what they need. You know, and um, but I, I tend to not suffer too much from that most of the time because I can play. I, I enjoy playing quietly with, and I enjoy playing intent intensely quietly um and uh you know that for me 
the, the, like I've spent the last weeks, I've, I've spent a lot of time on the pad and also on the drums here on this little, I've got this very small kit set up at the moment. And I've spent a lot of time um, trying to get that control uh, going on. And then I did a gig last night, it was loud and I struggled, you know, because I'm not in that headspace, I'm in the headspace of this recording thing, really. Uh, I mean, the gig was fine, but, you know, if I'd been doing, um, if I'd been doing that gig and playing in that way for a week, it'd, it'd have been quite different. I'd have had more confidence, you know. But I was just spent, I spent a lot of, spent four or five days really detailed playing in, in a kind of no louder than mezzo forte, you know, um, which has been great. And and I've, it's just that thing of you know, I noticed the the technique and the and the and the relaxed nature of how I'm getting around the instrument is it, it comes to you, you know, it's there. If you if you approach it in the right way and you spend that time really thinking about how you're doing what you're doing and how how the hands are working and, and what the sound you're going for and about movement, about, you know, the sort of over the over the area of the instrument, you know, how you're getting from A to B to C back to A and, you know, all that stuff about getting back to the home position and things. And so you know, all that stuff is all kind of obvious, but, you know, there may be things that in certain situations you're thinking about. Uh, styles, obviously. Coordinational challenges, making sure that um, my, the big mistake I make sometimes is I get, in, I get involved in things that I shouldn't get involved in. Coordinationally, I shouldn't go near it. I'm not there and I should just stay within the confines of my abilities. <laughs> You know, so that's that's about that that decision about how far you push things. That's a big decision for me. You know, I, I feel like as I get older, I get better at that. I get better at, at um, realizing I'm thinking less and less about that because I'm just really understanding what's going on in that moment better than I used to when I was younger. And you know, I was kind of more brave and a bit more stupid. Um, you know, and also trying to be like listening to everything and being a bit mental. Um, so, you know, that's a kind of different thing. But yeah, coordinational things. If you've got if you've got a tricky coordinational thing that you know you've got to do, you've got to prep that, you've got to spend some time and really get it into the muscle memory. You know, and that's 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 about you know, you've got to do something two minutes twenty times and then walk away, come back, do it again, two minutes twenty times, whichever's you know, whichever one is um you know, because if you do two, if you do it at a certain speed, two minutes, you might you might get twenty three times, is what I'm saying. But you could do, always do a minimum of twenty times. You know, and walk away, come back, do it again, get it in the muscle memory. Really make sure you're paying full attention to your body and whether there's any manifestations of tension, particularly in the jaw. You know, those kind of things really can help. Um, so yeah, but. Making it's that thing in in the moment in the, when the red lights on, you know, that any tension that you've brought from practicing that exercise will really show itself. And if you've got rid of all that tension, the only tension you're going to feel in that moment is if you've just feel intense generally, and you can find a way of dealing with that. And it's not going to interfere with the thing that you've been practicing and you've got down. You know, you'd only be knocking your confidence. But sometimes we do carry. I I carry tension that I've 
you know, thing, a lot of things I practiced down in the foot. I, you know, I've been very open. I find, find the right foot difficult, challenging, and, um, and I really have to think and be very aware when I'm practicing um, things in the feet about trying to just iron out anywhere I'm holding any weird tension or weight or, you know, even just, just kind of getting emotionally or tense, you know, um, trying to make sure that I'm sort of dealing with those things and aware of them. Um, so there's, there's, all, there's all that kind of side of things on, on, the, on the sort of practical playing side of things. And then there's things like gear, you know, decisions about what gear you're going to play. Like um, I go round and round with two things, cymbals and snare drums. And we're all, you know, I think we're all in the same place with that, aren't we? Um, I've been full circle with the cymbals thing. I've decided, made a decision on the cymbals I'm going to use. And, um, yeah, I, I've... I've got, well, I've said I've made a decision. I've made a decision about the symbols that I'm taking with me. I've not made a decision about the symbols that I'm actually using. I'm giving myself options, shall we say. But I've limited, well, there's going to be bigger options and I'm not going to do that. I'll probably bottle it on, so Sunday morning I'll be loading up the car and I'll I'll probably throw another ride symbol in. Um, no crashes though. Well, the, the, the 19s, the 19s are rides and crashes but there's no crap no crash so I'm really the jazz symbol thing at the moment for playing a trio particularly i'm so happy with the symbol setup i've got at the moment this combination of istanbul and the matia burgis the two um his two symbols i'm kind of going between i've got the, the jazz special edition is the center of everything it always is and the 30th anniversary hi-hats always the center of everything well, then the the other symbols are pivoting between uh, his two, the 19 and the 19 he made for me and the 20 that I bought. Um, I'm also loving his hi-hats. I'm going to take his hi-hats, I think, the 15 and a half. But the 15, 30ths, I always go back to them, like I do with the Jazz Special Edition 21 ride. But the um, his two rides, they're coming with me, but I've just put two rivets in this, uh, Agop 19 that I bought which is beautiful little ride anyway but I put two rivets in it and it's made it a peachy so that's coming with me and then that's probably going to be the thing because you know for guitar and organ because it's a guitar organ trio um, you you know if you listen to the, the drummers that play uh, I've been listening to a lot of two drummers Jason Brown and, and Bill Stewart who um Listen to Joe DiFrancesco trio with with uh, Dan Wilson and um, and Jason, absolutely frightening. Jason's phenomenal, like just a complete and utter demon. On a, it's like rhythmically, stylistically, technically, coordination. It just the whole thing. He's an absolute monster player, and his ears are so he's so he's so attentive. It's like the focus is. It's so relaxed as well. He's like an absolute demon, you know. He's one of these... It's the next generation. That's what it is, you know. It's simple. It's the next generation. So inspiring from us old guys, you know. Um, but Bill Stewart as well, who's slightly older than me, absolutely mega. I've been listening to a lot of those guys. 
and uh, and Bill's thing is so melodic, you know, and and so groovy, and the sound is so mega, um, and they've just got this thing about the rides have always got a bit of bite, you know, so the Matthias stuff. It's not quite. It's a bit sweet. So if I'm playing piano trio, it's or it's going to be, it's going to be the, the twenty one and and the and the A got uh, sorry the twenty one and the and the the thirtieths hi hats and then it will be the, his two rides. You know that seems to be my default at the moment because um, I riveted his two rides as well. Uh, they didn't call me rivets, so I got the twenties like a it's a, K, a K tribute fifties K tribute thing with a quite flat bell. And I put three very small, lightweight rivets in that beautiful. And then the 19, I put... Uh, the, the, the 19 he made for me, I asked him to make one. And it, and it was great, but it was a little bit bright for me. I was finding it a little bit... Because um, I had COVID, my ears were a bit weird for a while. I went back to some stuff that I mixed, and it was all very bright. My ears were just not great for a month or so after... Uh, my ears are all right now. They've gone back to kind of sounding crispy and normal, but they were just, I was like having a little bit of, I don't know, like the top end. Was, I was finding the top end a bit tricky, like a bit, I was finding it a bit harsh, you know, I was struggling. And uh, anyway, with that symbol, I put two rivets in it and it's sweetened it up no end, you know. Um, so now my ears feel back to normal. That symbol sounds so beautiful. And I, I love it. I use it all the time. When I'm doing a Rune Goshi's gig as well, I always have it because it's such a beautiful textural symbol as well. It's got a big body, you know, it'll sit in the sound. You can touch it and it'll sizzle. And so, anyway, gear, you know, gear. And then the snare drum thing, you know, the snare drum thing is a nightmare at the moment. I'm really um, enjoying playing about four different snare drums. Um, but I was joking yeah, last night, you know, I was talking to Scott Devine, the bass player I was playing with last night. I was just saying, I always go back to the Crav, you know. So I'll be taking the, I've got this Gary Noonan Black Beauty copy and I've got a Black Beauty as well. I won't take the Black Beauty. I'm not enjoying, I, I am enjoying that at the moment, but not for this kind of music. Uh, bought this lovely um, PDP uh, DW concept snare it was Pete Lockett. It was his drum. It's got wooden hoops and it's twenty ply. And I've got that sat in front of me here actually, and that's really really nice drum. But I won't take that. But what I will take is this Gary Noonan Black Beauty copy. So it's um, it's a seamed shell, six and a half deep, fourteen. Um, I put the original triple flange hoops back on that, which is nice. And uh, I'll take that and I'll take the Crav. Um, and I spent quite a bit of time tuning the Gary Noonan drum yesterday and I played it last night and really enjoyed it. But just before I left, I put the, the Crav on the snare stand and just played it and it sounded mega. And I was nearly just sw <laughs> nearly just put that and took that to the gig instead. But no, I made the commitment. I wanted to play the, the Noonan last night and I really enjoyed it. Especially at the lower dynamic, the kind of that detail dynamic. It's funny, this guy walking out, he he, he was very nice to me, his lad. He said, um, he said, You're you're king of the he said, You're king of the of the Freddy the Freddy Casper ghost notes. I was like, What? Is that your nickname? I said, Well, it is now, isn't it? I said, I've never heard that before. He said, No, I've just made it up. The Freddy the Freddy Casper ghost notes. 
I was like, right, wow, he just came out with this like thing, you know, Casper the Ghost. And anyway, yeah, it's just saying my ghost notes sounded nice. And he was sat right at the back of the room. So he was hearing that. There was so it was cutting across. That drum was doing the business, you know, because you don't always know where the details cutting across, especially a noisy room and quite loud music. So um so I'll take those two snares. Uh, Owain's got some beautiful snares I won't use any of those snare drums I'm not going to get involved in any of that shenanigans and he'll be encouraging me to he'll be like, because he's bought he's just got himself a really beautiful uh, he's played by Basie's drummer uh, it's beautiful, he sent me some pictures of it I'm not even going to talk about it mega, really beautiful drum, not going to play that drum um, and then just going to take yeah, the sonar, you know, the phonic mega, so just going to take that the uh, 18 I'm going to take 13 and 14 floor tom. That's the other decision I've made. Two floor toms I'm going to take. I don't know if I'm going to play them both. Uh, I might set a five-piece up, though. I might actually have the two floor toms. Probably won't. But the 13 is here. It's sounding so good. And I'm loving playing it. And um, I've got a feeling I'm going to use the 13. So I'm going to use the 12 rack and 13 floor tom and the 18 bass drum. So then, yeah, just thinking about gear and about, you know, making sure, you know, just like your heads and everything, all the usual crap, you know, take some spare heads with you, make sure your heads are sounding all right. You haven't got any issues with, you know, the drums are all sounding fine and there's no problems with everything. You're happy with the sound of your drums, you know. I, You know, Richard Newby's just give me all, all, I've got a whole set of wooden hoops now for my phonics. I've taken all the metal hoops off all of them and they sound mega, they sound better than they've ever sounded. My 18, it's the first time in my life I'm playing 18 with nothing in it. Uh, it's just a bass drum with no dampening in at all. Uh, it's just got some, um, it's just got a couple of um, little bits of uh, things on the on the head, you know, um, like the, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, just, they're not, it's not, it's kind of dampening, but it's not, um, it's not, uh, I can't remember the word, can't remember the name for it. But yeah, he's got that on both heads anyway. Just takes a little bit of the, the resonance off, but there's no cushion or pillow or foam or anything inside the drum, which is a which is genuinely a first for me with an 18. I've never been able to play an 18. And it's just all the hard work I've been doing with my right foot, getting more confidence in the right foot. So the drum's got a bit of an open thing, and I've already said to Owen, I said, I want to record it like that. I don't want to be taking the heads off or anything. I want to just have that acoustic sound. So that's going to be, you know, we've got separation. So the drum sound, a lot of it's going to come from the coals, the overheads, I think. If we go down that route, we might go down the 414 route. I don't know yet, but we'll see when we get there. Um, so, yeah, gear. Um, so it's music, gear, and your own vocab and your own, what you're going to play in that music. And just, you know, so some stuff to think about there. I feel like I've witted on for ages, and it's actually quite long. This is over an hour already. So, yeah, probably going to yeah probably end things there on that topic. But just to say a couple of housekeeping things, as I always say, um, just to shout out and mention, I was there today, Johnny Roadhouse Music in Manchester, friends of mine, and uh, went there. I've got five pairs of Peter Erskine sticks today. Mega. So I've got sticks for a year now. And um, and I've got a new stick bag as well, unbranded, beautiful leather thing, which uh, I haven't paid for yet, but really nice stick bag that Lee Mullen would ask me about ordering. They were made over in India, actually. Uh, really well made, really beautiful craftsmanship. 
Um, so, yeah. But, yeah, just shout out to that. Johnny Rodas in Manchester, if you need any of your musical needs, pop in there. Uh, it's got lots of great percussion stuff at the moment in there. It's not my thing, but loads of great percussion instruments um, and djembes and all kinds of stuff and lots of, uh, sort of Middle Eastern drums and things. And and then Pete Lockett's got, because Pete's retiring, you know, Pete's still got quite a lot of his stuff. So there's a phenomenal DW kit in there. It's a lot of money, but it's a one-off. If I had the money, I'd just buy it. I'd buy it and probably just leave it and just look at it, you know. Uh, no, I'd definitely play. I wouldn't just, I wouldn't do that. But it, it's got a really interesting shallow. I love shallow toms. They're all shallow sizes, but it's like three grand, you know. But it's a one-off, and it'll be worth fortunes in a few years, you know. I think this snare drum I bought here was amazing price, and I just bought it. I didn't even think about it, and it's beautiful, you know. And I'm just gonna keep hold of it. I'm just gonna use it for recording. The wooden hoops are great. It's fucking loud. Wow, it's loud. Really, really loud. Really, it's got that centre of the skull kind of rimshot vibe. And you know what I'm talking about, um, if you've heard that before. So, yeah, it's really, really beautiful drum. Um, but, yeah, they've got loads of yeah, some Pete Lockett stuff in there still for sale because Pete's, yeah, like I said, retired and he gave he gave them all of his stuff. It was all for sale in there. And he's, he's had congas and drums and all kinds of stuff because really interesting percussion instruments. So these brushes, these things I'm talking about on here, these were Pete's, uh, which is why Lee, Lee gave them to me as a gift. Um, so they were supposed to be paid for. Sorry about that. Well, they were a gift, so hopefully I've not got anybody any trouble there. Anyway... Maybe edit that out. No, I probably won't edit it out. It'd be fine. Um, so, yeah. Um, so that's that. I just wanted to mention Patreon thing. Blah, blah, blah. Dave Walsh drums in the shed. It's impossible to find on Google, so don't worry about it. But if you go on Podomatic, where my, my, um, my uh, podcast is hosted, Podomatic, um, there's a link on there to the Patreon thing. So, you know, that's cool. Blah blah blah. Somebody people ask me about that. I'm very vague about it. It's a bit weird. It's just uh, it's an archive for me. This so that's all cool. But one thing you could do if you're interested and you wanted to study, uh, have a, a snare drum study book, is on Google Play. My Rudiment Foundations book is for sale and it's very cheap. Six pound ninety five. Um, it's just it's just a PDF book. I have got hard copies of it here actually. But I don't I don't I don't. I'm they're not they're not being sold. Um, but and if anybody I met anybody, somebody bought it last week, and I said to him, "If I ever meet you, I'll give you a, I'll give you a copy, um, a hard copy, just as a, just to have as a." I always like a proper copy of things. People can print them out, you know, because the book I've got here is just printed from the PDF. It, it was done for me at college. It's, I just give it to my students, you know, because they obviously they're paying for their education and what have you. So it's part of the thing I give to them if they study with me. I've got a couple of books. I've got my sort of jazz works, jazz drumming. Uh, workbook which is um, just some stuff that we work through while I'm teaching which is not for sale or anything it's a, it's a, it, that book isn't a really a sellable book so you need the input from the the mental case that wrote it <coughs> to um, to help you with the concepts within that book it's not a book you can sort of open and just study but the Rudiment Foundations book is it's a pre-rudimental study book if you want to go back to one of my early episodes called Foundations, I think it's the first, there's about three episodes called Foundations. I think it's the first one. It talks about the concept behind that book. But it's basically, 
if you were a beginner drummer, you would be perfect to use that book. If you practiced it exactly as it's written, and it's pretty boring because all those kind of books are. <clears throat> I make no no kind of um, you know I'm not deluding anybody by saying it's some fascinating book that's really really exciting. It isn't. It's boring and it's all very mechanical things to practice. But if you practice those things correctly. Um, you will notice that you can play pretty much any rudiment to a pretty decent speed without practicing the rudiment in the first place because you've done all the kind of mechanical work within the hands and the control of the hands in order to play those different rhythmical shapes. It's you know, it works. It's good. I've had some very good students that have used it and had good results. And it's just good for the hands generally, even if you don't even play rudiments, it's just good for the hands. So that's for sale if you go and Google. Uh, Google Play Store, Google Books, you'll find it. Just put in Rudiment Foundations, Dave Walsh, it comes up. I mean, it's really cheap. It's just a little PDF. It's about 30 pages, and there's some stuff written in there. Um, so that's that. Then there's, yeah, the, the nothing else, I don't think. I think that was all the things I needed to mention. Yeah, Johnny Roadhouse, go there. Bobbity, bobbity, blah, Patreon, blah, 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 boring, whatever. And, um, yeah, and great. And thanks for listening. Be back next month uh, with more ramblings. So bye for now. <laughs>